Off the Brawl on OTB Sports Radio, Ireland's first and only sports radio station. I'm a master slick boxer and I can jab and move around the ring for 12 rounds. But that didn't work last time. I got a draw. Like I said, a draw is a failure to me because all I do is win, win, win. This time I wanted the knockout and I think the only way I could guarantee that I was going to get a win was the knockout. So when me and Sugar Hill spoke, he told me that I would knock him out and I believed in what he said. We worked to a game plan in the gym and yeah, we put it into practice in the ring. I'm my own worst critic. And even though it was a fantastic performance and I got a great win, um, I know I can do better. And I've only just started me in Sugar Hill with this style. We've had seven weeks to, to perfect a style that takes years at the Cronk Gym in and out. But I'm a quick learner and we're going to be putting people to sleep left, right and centre. Don't forget, when I came here, they said I, I can't punch. Deontay Wilder said himself that I've got two pillow fists. But, you know, not bad for an old fat guy who can't punch, eh? Doing all right, didn't I? I'm almost sure that he'll take a rematch because he's dynamite puncher and at any time he can take somebody out and with that danger then you're always in a fight so I'm pretty sure we'll do it again we're running back again if he wants to but if he doesn't want to then these are me promoters and, and you know whatever they want to do I'm happy with whoever's next will get the same treatment that's for sure There we are, Tyson Fury reigns supreme. He is the WBC World Heavyweight Champion. A seventh round stoppage against Deontay Wilder in Las Vegas. Utterly dominant 14 months on from their draw. And before that, that was Joe Tessitore, Lennox Lewis and Andre Ward on a commentary on Saturday night. In Fury's corner, as I'm sure you know by now, was Andy Lee. Uh, we talked to Andy on the show last Monday and in advance of the fight, he certainly was of the opinion and the conviction that Fury would take the fight to Wilder, that we would see authority in his jabs. And I think it's fair to say that came to pass. Andy was back in OTBAM this morning. Own Sheehan asked him, uh, what was the difference in Fury's jab at the weekend and previously? Tyson's jab was, oh, was a flick of a jab. It was like it would occupy his opponents. It would never damage them uh, or push them back. It was just like a flick, flick, flick to set up another opponent or to occupy his opponent so he could slide off and move around. Uh, but now his jab, as I said last week, his jab is a real weapon. And I think that was really telling when Wilder felt that first jab. I actually saw his facial expression change. And, uh, you know, like Tyson took two good right hands at the start of the fight. Mm. Um, and even though that's, that's the fault, 
it kind of worked in his favour because he just talked to him and kept walking forward. And I think that, in some way, demoralised Wilder. Um, but once he got his feet adjusted and found the distance that he could step back quicker than he had been in the first round, he never got hit with the right hand again. How does a boxing coach take a jab that is there to occupy its opponent to turn it into something that is a weapon of mass destruction? You just put, you, you just drill it every day and punch correctly. And as I like, you know, as I said last week, he's never really been taught the basics of boxing. He's always gotten through, and like his pad work, he fall would be very flashy and it would look fantastic. It would be seven or eight combination punches, um, but you're never going to do that in a fight. Basic boxing wins fights. People that do the simple things correctly win the fights, and uh, that's what it was. So, yeah, like, and look, it was only—it's only been eight weeks training with me to the hill. Mm. Imagine when he has six months or a year. He's going to improve. He's only going to get better and better. Yeah, which is a frightening thought for everybody in the division. Delighted to say we have with us Declan Taylor, boxing journalist. He was at the MGM Grand on Saturday. And Paulie Malinaji as well, a two-weight world champion. Paulie, talk to us about this utterly dominant performance from Tyson Fury. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I, I thought Tyson Fury would win the fight. Going into the fight, I did expect him to, to do what he was supposed to do to win the fight. I felt he won the first fight, and I thought aside from the knockdowns, he pretty much dominated the first fight. But I think many people got, uh, just got very caught up in, in what happened with the knockdowns. Uh, so I just thought, you know, the, the, the adjustments he had to make were minor, and uh, he would win this fight. But really, he made several different adjustments, even that surprised me. Uh, I know sometimes guys show have some gamesmanship where they say they'll be aggressive and they'll, they talk up a big game, but I didn't expect this kind of aggressiveness from from Fury. But I'll be honest, when uh, when I saw him, the, the weigh-in, he was very heavy. I thought one of two things. I thought either he wasn't trained as properly as he should have or the opposite, that maybe the weight game was, uh, was on purpose so that he could actually enact this bully mentality that, that uh, was being predicted by John Fury when I, when I met up with John in, uh, in London at, the, at that uh, BC Sport meeting. Yeah, Fury weighed in at 273 pounds, 19 and a half as stone. And it was from the opening bell, Paulie. I mean, he took the middle of the ring and he took the fight to Wilder from the opener. Yes, he did. He did. I, I think that was also a mental statement he was trying to make. Not just obviously, obviously, it's a physical one as well. The fight is physical. But I think mentally he was trying to start getting onto the, onto the mentality of breaking Wilder down and just putting him in an uncomfortable position. Well, Wilder, not to say that he doesn't fight, uh, he, he always fights coming forward, but he has that kind of intimidating power where, where guys have to respect it and they're not carelessly coming forward. But Tyson has enough athletic ability to not make it careless. He kind of gives you those half-step backs, those drop-backs steps that kind of miss, miss, make you miss, take those missteps. And Wilder at times was trying to commit, and this Tyson was just uh, you know, taking those quick steps back. And I think uh, even in the corner, Sugar Hill, I, I noticed one of the instructions Sugar Hill was saying in the corner was, uh, you know, uh, quick on the back, you know, quick, quick getting back. Like, you could tell that was probably something that the, the way he was wording it was probably something they had talked about and maybe worked on in the gym was, you know, you come forward carefully, obviously, but come forward and be aggressive. But when he gets aggressive, leave him hanging. You know, quick, explosive, explosive, quick steps going backwards, and uh, so that Wilder will trip himself up. Wilder's legs aren't as good as Fury's legs, and uh, really, every time Wilder tried to come forward, even when he threw the right hands, and even when he landed a couple of them, they they were not flush, and they were not. And, and Fury was either rolling with them or was on, was already on the end of them. So so nothing landed for Wilder that could really intimidate Fury and get his attention, you know? Yeah, even that first right in, or that first, uh, that, that right in the first round, Fury rolled with just enough. As, as yeah, for what Sugar yeah, Hill was saying, was, freeze him was actually the phrase he used. Freeze him. When yeah. you move back, freeze him. 
Yes, and exactly, because they knew that if he got back quick enough, um, it would freeze Wilder's legs. But Wilder's his, his balance is so bad in every fight that it, he can only take one or two steps forward before he's flopping all over the place. You know, so mm. so I thought that that was really intelligent. And also, yes, exactly, they use the, the phrase "freeze him." So it's something that you can tell they kind of were familiar with, because you know, somebody using a term that that's kind of foreign like that means that it's been used in the gym and they're and they're yes. kind of repeating the instructions uh, on fight night, and that's kind of what was. Um, I thought what was going on. I thought it was it was brilliant as well, you know, yeah. that, because I, I think in the first fight, the reason Fury got himself dropped is he, he tried to go under some of those punches too many times. And not to say that he shouldn't go under some of the punches, but I think he, he gave up a lot of his advantages by trying to go under too many shots. And I think this time they didn't want Fury to dip, dip under too many times and get in the path of many right hands. So the plan was to, you know, change distance and, and go backwards a lot uh, when, when Deontay did try to get aggressive. And then, Obviously, get back on the, on the aggressiveness, and I think uh, I think it worked brilliantly. I think it worked very perfectly. I think it was a great game plan, and obviously, it was executed very well by Fury as well. Stay with us, Paulie. We also have Declan Taylor with us, boxing journalist who was at the fight. And when Paulie there talks about freezing, Declan, that kind of shorthand, as Paulie says, is a sign of real clear thinking in camp, a real plan, and we know exactly what that means. And it's good, concise information. And Fury had that clarity of thought from the opening bell. Whereas Wilder, again, as Paulie says, because of his power, because fighters are afraid of him at times, uh, he is not as practiced at fighting on the back foot when somebody is coming uh, onto him. And that was all very evident. This was an uncomfortable night for Wilder from the off. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the training because that was one of the things I thought that Wilder was going to improve him because I went to see him in Tuscaloosa before the first fight and I spoke to the whole team about Fury and they basically thought he was a clown. They thought he was just an actor and it was going to be an easy win. Now, obviously, after the first fight, they realised that wasn't the case and he's a, he's a good, you know, he's clearly a brilliant, talented heavyweight. So I thought they were going to adjust to that and they didn't. You know, they didn't in the, in the rematch and I think they came unstuck because of it. And it was after, what, one or two rounds, you just thought to yourself, wow, they he really has never been pushed back like it. We've never seen him have to box on the back foot. We never even have to see him box going backwards. And he didn't know what he was doing with his hands. His chin was in the air. Um, I mean, serious problem. The people have spoken about him, this idea of being exposed one day. Yeah, I hate that word, exposed. He hasn't been exposed. But he's been out thought, I think. And in such a short camp for Tyson and, and Kronk, uh, the Kronk boys, it's, it was amazing what he pulled off. It really, I'm still kind of in shock about it. Pauli Malinaji, that's an interesting point that Declan makes there about the Wilder camp in any way underestimating Tyson Fury. Yeah, you know, this is a guy that had a win over a prime Vladimir Klitschko even before that fight, so even before that first fight. So I don't understand how you can ever underestimate Fury at that point, even with what he'd been going through, because a prime Vladimir Klitschko, there is, a, there is no point in Deontay Wilder's career where he beats a prime, a prime Vladimir Klitschko. You know, and, and Fury not only beat him, but he beat him pretty handily. So, so I thought... You know, I, I thought that was very um, un, a lot of unpreparedness mm. to even have that mentality going into the first fight. But yeah. obviously, in the second fight, they hadn't made enough adjustments. And going back to the, to the first knockdown, I, I heard a lot of people trying to say it's a it's a rabbit punch and whatnot, which is totally and utterly ridiculous. The, the blood on the ear shows that it's not a rabbit punch. You hit him flush on the ear, and then the follow through, the follow through wound up scraping the back of his head. But the impact of the shot was on the ear. It was not on the back of the head. There was no impact on the back of the head. So uh, the, the ridiculousness of this whole rabbit punch theory is, is out the window there. Not to mention, it's pretty much the same shot that dropped, the same kind of right hand that dropped, and it landed in pretty much the same place that dropped Fury in the first fight around eight, 
around nine, whatever, that first knockdown was yeah. in the first fight. Declan, that first knockdown, there were 30 seconds left in round three. That's the first time Wilder's been on the canvas in 10 years, 30 fights ago. There was speculation here, the eardrum had been uh, ruptured. That was since uh, confirmed not to be the case. It needed seven stitches, it was badly cut. We saw the blood coming from the ear and commentary uh, certainly speculated at the time it was ruptured eardrum. One of the reasons they did speculate that was also because his balance was so clearly off from that round on, from that punch on. Yeah, I, I thought there must have been something wrong. We were going to hear of an injury or something at that point, just because he was so out of character, so out of sorts, particularly from that point. But when you think about it, you've got a 20 stone guy who he expected to box off the back foot, pouring towards you at all times, landing whenever he wanted to, to head and body. I just wonder whether he was he was just exhausted earlier than he's ever been because no one obviously no one puts it on him like that and if they do they usually end up getting knocked out so he's just in a a new sort of world for him where he's in there absolutely knackered which is obviously affecting his power he's not really landing anything I know Andy mentioned the two right hands in the first round so he's landed flush a couple of times and Fury hasn't budged now after what happened in the first fight he must be thinking what do I have to do to this guy to put him away so mentally already he's thinking about that uh, and then it just you know it just went steadily downhill and I thought they might have pulled him the round before in the break um, obviously that wasn't a thought of Jay Diaz at that point and I'm sure Mark Breland would have been thought, thinking it at that point because he was just he was getting hit a lot and he, obviously we know about the eraser but it goes the more tired you get so even when he was throwing that right hand, it didn't seem to have the same pop, obviously, as it as it usually did. Um, it, apparently, it's just a cut in there and he needed some stitches. It's obviously not ideal, but um, it was something off with him. And I just wonder what that sort of a beating is going to do, do for him mental, his mentality now going forward. Yes, Mark Breland ultimately threw in the towel and Deontay Wilder came over and said, why have you done that? I think it was pretty obvious to everybody. Paulie, could they have ended that fight around sooner? Um, I thought they were going to end it around sooner. Yeah, I thought he was. Uh, I, th I thought he was out of sorts. You know, um, I give him credit. I mean, I, I never doubted Deontay Wilder's character because I thought in the first Lewis Ortiz fight he showed a ton of it. Um, so I, I knew that if he put himself, he went, if he wound up in a bad situation, he would have to be pulled out of a fight. I, I Deontay is the kind of guy he has no quit. One thing, one thing I cannot respect in a fighter is when they have no character and when they're looking to quit when things get bad. Because as a fighter, you have to be understand how to how to not only deal with things when they're going good, but also figure out a way to stay have to have the staying power to stay in a fight when things are going bad. So ultimately, guys like that are brave and have character and have to be pulled out of the fight. And, and I thought that, uh, you know, his job, I did, the corner did a good job. I had no problem with the stoppage. I know Deontay did. He's a competitor. He's going to. But uh, I thought, you know, I think also as a fighter, looking from a fighter perspective, you have to convince the corner, you have to convince the referee that you are capable of staying in there. And he just, his body language was just not convincing to me. Ed, pile that on to the blood, the visual, the visual of the blood all over him. And it didn't just, this didn't look like a, a, a guy that, could could stay in there any longer, you know, and he wasn't going to quit, you know. But also, I know JD said something about, uh, you know, you never pull out a guy with that kind of power. But to, to tell you the truth, he was so exhausted. Even if he lands a big shot there, he's so tired that it's not going to have the same kind of steam it usually has. So even his right hand, to me, is a waste of time to keep him in that fight and, and let him get beat up more because he's too tired to even yeah. put together a big shot like that. Even if his right hand lands at that point, I don't think it's going to do any damage because he's too tired. It's not going to have the same effect. Straight away, Paulie, the media have moved on to looking ahead to Fury against Joshua and it was such a comprehensive victory. I don't really think amongst the general public there is a huge appetite for a rematch. Obviously, both fighters have a rematch clause in their contract. What's your sense of what the Wilder uh, camp are going to do here? 
I think Wilder <laughs> should go out and take a couple of lesser opponents because he can beat lesser opponents who are still top 10 guys. I, I really believe that his team stopping that fight prevented him from getting ruined. You know, so I think that he's still good enough to beat most of the top 10 guys in, in the world. You know, uh, if not the rest of the top 10 guys in the world. I don't know. You know, I think I know before the fight I was taking these two guys to the top one and two in the division. And I still am, am, I still want to lean towards that no matter what. I don't know that Deontay took enough of being there where, where you can say he's ruined. I think his corner stopping it did, uh, kind of saved him from that but but i think that a, a rematch is a waste of time i think if these guys fight 10 times tyson beats them all 10 times that tyson to me is the absolute number one guy in the weight class right now in the heavyweight division and uh and i think it's gonna be tough to, to knock him off this perch you know but mm. um i'd love to see the, the joshua fight i think he's a capable guy and obviously it's a selling point but i don't think wilder should go into the rematch straight away maybe look for it later on um even though he's not getting any younger but you risk ruining yourself if you go into the, to the immediate rematch right away. You risk this fighter getting ruined. Of course, maybe his team doesn't really care for that because they're trying to get the most money they can where he's a guy who's almost 34 years old. It's possible, and I guess if you're looking at it from a business sense, you look at it that way. But I don't think it's a good idea for Deontay health-wise to, to go into the rematch right away. I know as a competitor he wants to make the, the, right, the wrongs into rights, and he's obviously got a right to think that way. He should think that way. But I think from the outside looking in, I think there's a lot of guys in the top 10 that Deontay can still beat, and I think maybe he should go back to that kind of opponent for the time being. Declan, is there any word from the Wilder camp on what they're going to do? Well, uh, straight after the fight in the press conference, which actually took place in the ring, uh, Wilder wasn't there. We were told he went to hospital, but actually it turns out he didn't. Anyway, JDs and Shelley Finkel were up there, and Shelley said that he expects to, to activate the rematch clause. Um, I think they've got 30 days in which to do that. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm right in saying that um, it would be a 60-40 split, in, obviously now in favour of Tyson, so it's good money for Wilder. Uh, like you said, the appetite for it is not going to be anywhere near like it was for the second fight. But when you really assess the landscape, it's still going to make decent money compared to the other names that are in the hat. And if you're Tyson Fury, if you're Sugar Hill Stewart or Andy Lee, you're thinking, yes, please, I'll have that rematch, please, because now it must really look like easy money because of the number they did on him. Um, I'm not sure what Wilder's thinking. It's difficult to tell. Obviously, it was the same thing that happened with Joshua when that happened against Ruiz and everyone said, is it a good idea to go in straight in with the guy who's just bounced you up and down in front of everyone and, you know, mentally scarred you like that? And he went and did a number on him. The thing with Wilder, as we know, is he's got that incredible power. So you'd still have to give him a chance against anyone, including Fury. He'd be a huge outsider now in the third fight. But I've just got a sneaky feeling they might do it um, because... He could go and fight a couple of other guys and make okay money on pay-per-view, but really, it, he needs to have a belt to, mm. to really be, command the massive money that he craves because no one out there is going to be calling to fight him unless he's got a belt because of that power. And the problem he's got as well is obviously his Fury and Joshua are both British, so he's sort of out of the picture a bit now. It's amazing how, how it all flips around. So I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't rule a third, a third fight out, and okay. I think the people around him would fancy it as well. And Declan, this sport, uh, one of the frustrations people have with it is we don't see the best fighters fight each other when they're at their best. So everybody wants Fury against Joshua. What has to fall into place for that to happen and how likely is it? To be honest, I'd be surprised if it happened next. Or, you know, Joshua's got to fight Kubrat Pulev in a mandatory um, for the IBF. But as we know, a unification trumps a mandatory. So in theory, you'd think that they'd be able to bin that fight completely. He's also got an issue with the WBO and Alexander Usyk. So, again, it would be down to the sanctioning bodies to decide what they're going to do and would they allow this super fight for all four belts. I would assume they would, 
but then you've got all the other hurdles like networks, you know, like egos, like just the size trying to come together and make it happen. The one thing that we should all be thankful for, believe it or not, is that the sort of money that is on offer in the Middle East, in Saudi Arabia in particular, is like Deontay Wilder's right hand. It's an eraser. All of those egos, all those hurdles could go out of the way with the sort of money they could just put on the table and say, let's have it here. One of the one of the princes was at, in attendance at the MGM, sat next to Frank Warren. So they obviously fancy it. They're going to love Fury, such a showman. We know they love Joshua. So forget about all the politics, all the arguing. The sort of money that they could put down is, you know, in another stratosphere to what they'd get, certainly in Britain, definitely in Vegas. So yeah. it could happen. I hope so. Obviously, like you say, we've seen so many fights fall by the wayside. I just feel like the sort of money that they could get over in Saudi, it's a shame it would happen there, but at least then we'd get to see it. Last question to you, Paulie. You've been very good with your time. So it was interesting. Andy Lee said there that we only had eight weeks in camp with uh, Tyson Fury and you saw what we did with him. In some respects, he hasn't even been taught the, the basics of boxing, which is a frightening thought for his next opponent. But regardless, you're of the opinion that Fury against Joshua, Fury is the best fighter in the world in this division. Yeah, I, I do think he's the best fighter in the world. I think Josh was a capable guy, um, but I think Fury's the best fighter in the division. I've been saying that for a little while now, um, uh, especially after seeing the first fight with Wilder uh, mm. coming in the way he did. But um, So I, I would pick Fury in the rematch, but I, I think Declan made some good points. Um, I think this fight in the Middle East could be made, and I think the Middle East money is so ridiculous that you could actually prevent Wilder from from enacting his rematch clause by paying Wilder. The Middle East money might actually, they might, they might mm. say, listen, Deontay, the Middle East, we're gonna, these guys in the Middle East are going to give you this much money to step aside yeah. and not enact your rematch clause. So Deontay can come into the free money without having to risk another beating, you know, and maybe take another, take on another, again, another respectable, respectable top 10 guy that he, he might be. Because I think, I think Deontay can still beat some very respectable opponents. Yeah. And still, uh, I think this, there might be a way to make this thing happen. Paulie, where is Tyson Fury in the kind of all-time heavyweights conversation? Is he, is he even a part of that in any great way at the moment? Oh, absolutely, I think he is. I think absolutely he is. I mean, he, he, he knocked off. I don't understand how people forget about the Vladimir Klitschko win. That Vladimir Klitschko win was, was off the hook, like, like something, something crazy. And it wasn't, it wasn't a fluke. It was, he, he dismantled Vladimir Klitschko, who hadn't lost in over, in over a decade, you know? And, and obviously the same Vladimir Klitschko a couple of years later went life and death with Anthony Joshua. So, you know, he, he beat a more primed up Klitschko and a guy who was still confident of, of never having been beaten in a long time, you know. Um, he's got to be a bit more consistent, I think, for, to get everybody's attention. But for me to see what I, to see with, for me to see what he's done and what he continues to do, for me, for me, he's in the all-time conversation for sure. Okay, well, listen, thanks very much. Pauli Malinaji, a two-weight world champion, and Declan Taylor, boxing journalist as well. Thank you, Declan. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Off the Brawl on OTB Sports Radio, Ireland's first and only sports radio station.